if we depend on our own resources, we're very limited. Our, limited, our resources, resources are extremely limited in this realm of consciousness. And it's primarily due to our, as he said, misidentification. We think this body is the self, and we think that everything in relationship to the body is, is mine. I mean mine. And we think we're the doer, that everything's coming of our, of our labor. And of course, some things come of our labor, but it's truly a, a small, very small portion of what are the supply agents of this level of existence. It's easy to understand. The sunlight, we're not making the sunlight, but every morning the sun's up there giving us the energy of, of heat and light. We don't make water, but without water, what, you die in what, a couple days? Three or four days, I don't know. But we don't make the water. We don't make the fruits and vegetables. But we can till the land and plant seeds and they will come automatically. But we, we really fall under a misconception there, don't we, here? We, we actually think that everything is, is coming about because of my hard labor, especially in modern society, in, in Western society. Everyone's thinking like that uh, in, a, in an illusion condition. As long as we have that false sense of proprietorship on the material plane, what hope is there for us to rise to a higher level of consciousness. And the other important point that is made here is that we must take shelter of the spiritual atmosphere in a personal way. We have to find a person who's properly situated in the spiritual atmosphere and take shelter of him. Just like our children take shelter of us, and we provide for them and uh, nurture them. Similarly, if we, want, if we need to find a spiritual shelter, in the Vedic terminology, what they call that spiritual shelter is your second birth. So we all know we take one birth from the womb of our mother. But we also need to take a second birth which is a spiritual birth from the knowledge of the guru. So the knowledge the guru is giving us is our second birth. Such a second birth is only available in the human form of life because we have enough advanced intelligence and consciousness to be able to inquire about our spiritual nature. Atato Brahma Jignasa. What is my spiritual nature? Second birth is necessary for spiritual advancement, and second birth requires that we find the proper parent or parents. And those parents are, are basically three. Three, there's three components there of our spiritual life where we take knowledge. We take knowledge from our spiritual master, our preceptor, guru. 
We take knowledge from Scripture, and we take knowledge from the association of, of devotees, those that are of like consciousness who are on the same path. They, they help nurture us also. That shelter is, is necessary. And guru is coming both outside and inside. Guru is in the heart, and guru is also manifesting externally. We take shelter of guru internally, and until we can actually communicate with him directly by revelation, which comes at the stage of bhava, which is an advanced stage of, of spiritual practice, until we attain that qualification, we communicate with, with Krishna directly through his holy name. And the guru gives us the holy name. And that's truly the, the second initiation. One aspect is, is initiation into Nama, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, or any name of God, but this mantra is extremely potent for us. And we also were given mantra. Mantra, Om Bhur, Bhuvaswa, Tatsavatur, a whole series of, of Gayatri mantras. And uh, in the Vedic system, that second birth, that Gayatri mantra, is considered the, the Brahminical initiation. And that is actually the true spiritual birth, except for a couple of us. Most of you, this is, this is to come in the future. Is first this Nama initiation, and then you need to progress nicely in that. And after a, a, you know a year, the guru also introduce you to the Gayatri mantra, and it's a a form of, uh, of regulated practice, like our chanting of of Japa, but it's also a regulated daily worship of the Supreme and His various merciful manifestations for our spiritual advancement. As uh, uh, the material manifestation, different levels of consciousness, Bur, Bhuva, Swa, uh, this material plane, the plane above, Swa, this, actually the, the the platform of the of the demigods who are providing everything for us. Om Bur, Bhuva, Swa, Tatsavatur. We worship Guru through the Gayatri mantra. We worship Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu who has inaugurated spiritual life for us in this age of Kali. And we worship the intimate pastimes of the Supreme Lord, the most intimate loving exchanges of Krishna. So the shelter is very important for us, taking shelter of, uh, of the higher authority Without that shelter, unfortunately, the yogis and the jnanis, they just, they can only, go, you can only go so far of their own power. They need somebody to, to actually pick them up. We all do. But there's a class of spiritualists that think they can do it on their own, through their own knowledge, through their own study of the Veda. Uh, those are called jnanis. And... The yogis, they think they can just sit in meditation, gain control of their senses, and, and break through. Well, they actually do break through the, the top chakra of their head, and they're able to fly around the universe and get all this mystical power. But uh, it's not Krishna. 
If we want to meet Krishna, if we want to love Krishna, if we want to have that spiritual, if we want to be introduced to that spiritually affectionate plane with the supreme of transcendental emotion in love, we have to be introduced to that by someone who is already there in that loving plane. This is the fourth chapter, text 11. As all surrender unto me, I reward them accordingly. Everyone follows my path in all respects, O son of Prita. I'm going to read the uh, purport to text 10, uh, since we read the purport to this verse last week. Being free from attachment, fear, and anger, being fully absorbed in me and taking refuge in me, many, many persons in the path became purified by knowledge of me, and thus they all attained transcendental love for me. As all surrender unto me, I reward them accordingly. Every fo everyone follows my path in all respects of son of Krita. Purport to text 10. This described above, it is very difficult for a person who is too materially affected to understand the personal nature of the supreme absolute truth. Generally, people who are attached to the bodily conception of life are so absorbed in materialism that it is almost impossible for them to understand how the supreme can be a person. Such materialists cannot even imagine that there is a transcendental body which is imperishable, full of knowledge, and eternally blissful. In the material materialistic concept, the body is perishable, full of ignorance, and completely miserable. Therefore, people in general keep the same bodily idea in mind when they are informed of the personal form of the Lord. For such materialistic men, the form of the gigantic material manifestation is supreme. Consequently, they consider the supreme to be impersonal. Now, when you when you hear this, keep in mind those. Well, let's look at the at the Native Americans. They worship the supreme in nature, and you also notice in some uh, tribes of uncivilized men, when they see something wonderful, they think they're that's the supreme when they're exposed to, to cultured men who have like armor and swords or guns and they see the gunshot, they immediately bow down. Oh my, yes, look, you have this material power. That's a natural, that's a natural state for the human. When he sees something wonderful, he's thinking, and if it's more wonderful than himself, he's thinking, well, that's supreme. Well, it is. It's superior to where he is but is it the absolute supreme? And due to his limited knowledge, he doesn't have an understanding of what is the absolute supreme. It's all limited by what? By his senses. Unless knowledge is received from the transcendental plane, if we use our senses and our environment and we try to arrive at knowledge of the spiritual realm, it's not going to be possible. For such materialistic men, the form of the gigantic material manifestation is supreme. Consequently, they consider the supreme to be impersonal. And because they are too materially absorbed, the conception of retaining the personality after liberation from matter frightens them. When they are informed that spiritual life is also individual and personal, they become afraid of becoming persons again. And so they naturally prefer a kind of merging into the impersonal void. 
It's a natural reaction. If you come to the knowledge that everything in relation to the body ultimately ends and the body generally, for the most part, gives us more trouble than comfort. It's not to say it doesn't give us some comfort. There's certainly comforts in life. Eating, sleeping, mating, defending. These are our comforts, but it's kind of limited. So when people hear that there's that you maintain your personality in spiritual life, they naturally are afraid of that because they know that their individuality in the material body has for the most part not been an enjoyable experience. Especially coming at the end of life, generally at the end it becomes more and more troublesome for us as the body begins to break down. And the body actually becomes completely uninhabitable. And when it's no longer inhabitable, what do we call it? We call it death. It just it doesn't work anymore. You just have to leave it. It's done, finished. It can't provide anything for you. Generally, they compare the living entity to the bubbles of the ocean, which merge into the ocean. That is the highest perfection of spiritual existence attainable without individual personality. This concept of merging into the energy. This is a kind of fearful stage of life, devoid of perfect knowledge of spiritual existence. Because we don't know what we're merging into. We lose our self. These are all spiritual concepts that are, that, that are held by the, you know, by a great number of the transcendentalists. Furthermore, there are many persons who cannot understand spiritual existence at all, being embarrassed by so many theories and by contradictions of various types of philosophical speculation. They become disgusted or angry and foolishly conclude that there is no supreme cause and that everything is ultimately void. There's just too much in the marketplace and we become bewildered. We go to the marketplace and there's just, there's such a variety and we're like, we become dumbfounded. Can I eat that? Can I eat that? You know, what's, what's really going to nourish me? Such people are in a diseased condition of life. Some people are too materially attached and therefore do not give attention to spiritual life. Some of them want to merge into the spiritual supreme cause and some of them disbelieve in everything, being angry at all sorts of spiritual speculation out of hopelessness. Isn't it so relieving though when you actually hear true spiritual knowledge from someone who knows? When you actually hear Bhagavad Gita, you associate with devotees, you learn about this is the way, this, this is what this material world's about. All this knowledge is called sambandha. That's a technical term, sambandha. We learn about the interrelationships, what's matter, what's spirit, what's us, what's God, what's God's devotees, what's, the, what's a demoniac mentality, those that are antagonistic. It's certainly a far cry from the hopelessness that most people feel who can't find spiritual direction. Uh, this last class of men take to the 
shelter of some kind of intoxication, and their effective hallucinations are sometimes accepted as spiritual vision. All right, I've got to tell you a story here. In my early days, I went to college and I was, it was during the hippie period. Naturally, I was very much into exploring all realms of consciousness. So on one of those explorations, I had already come into contact with Bhagavad Gita. I'd been reading Bhagavad Gita probably for two years, but I was still a hippie. I still wanted to take the easy way. And if I could drop myself to higher consciousness, hey, it seemed good to me. Well, there's something about taking that route. It's not a true spiritual path. And because it's not a true path, it doesn't give you a true sense of spiritual knowledge. And at a certain point, you're, you come to a point where you realize, this is not good for me. Could you please help me get out of this place that I've got myself into? So I was in that kind of consciousness. And I was actually, because I'd read Bhagavad Gita, I'm actually praying to the Lord, please, if there's any way you can help me now, I really need to know what's going on. And I picked up Bhagavad Gita. And I said, you said in this book that, that this is you. There's no difference between this book and you being God. You've told, I've read this in this book. So please, tell me what I need to hear right now. I started to read, and this is where I started to read. This last class of men take to the shelter of some kind of intoxication, and their respective hallucinations they accept as spiritual visions. One must get rid of all three stages of attachment to the material world. Negligence of spiritual life, fear of spiritual personal identity, and the conception of void that arises from frustration in life. At that point, I was fully convinced that Bhagavad Gita was non-different from the Supreme Personality of Godhead. <laughs> That was the end of my experimental period of spiritual aspiration. I mean, I was slapped in the face. This last class of men, oh my God, take to intoxication and their hallucinations. They think they're spiritual visions. Yeah, and I'm thinking like, wow, could somebody read my mind any clearer than this? <laughs> To get free from these three stages of material, the material concept of life, one has to take complete shelter of the Lord, guided by the bonafide spiritual master, and follow the disciplines and regulative principles of devotional life. The last stage of devotional life is called bhava, or transcendental love of Godhead. And there are no shortcuts. <laughs> According to Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, 
the science of devotional service, sadashrada tata sadhu, sangotha bhajana kriya, tato nartha nivriti shat, tato nistasuchistata, atha saktis tato bhava, tata prema abhyabdanshati, sadaka nama ayam premna, padur bhave bhavet krama. This verse shows the ladder of progress in devotional service to the Supreme Lord. This verse, you can see the correlation between this verse and the eight verses of Shikshastika we chant every week. Now, starting a year ago or so, I went over Shikshastika pretty extensively and brought out the correlation between the Sikshastika prayers of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and these different stages of advancement. So we'll just read the, the English here. In the beginning, one must have a preliminary desire for self-realization. That's a simple qualification. doesn't require a lot of work. You have to want to know what spiritual life's about. This will bring one to the stage of trying to associate with persons who, have a, who are spiritually elevated. You'll look for a spiritual teacher or a spiritual path which gives you enlightenment about spiritual progress. In the next stage, one becomes initiated by an elevated spiritual master and under his instruction, the neophyte devotee begins the process of devotional service. Again, this can be applied to other spiritual disciplines. Initiation can be orientation or taking your vows in, the, in a seminary. You make spiritual life the most important thing. That's initiation. The beginning of making spiritual life the most important thing in your life. It takes precedence over all other. That's the beginning. That's initiation. Under his instruction, the neophyte, the new devotee, begins the process of devotional service. By execution of devotional service under the guidance of the spiritual master, one becomes free from all material attachment, attains steadiness and self-realization, nista, and acquires a taste for hearing about the absolute personality of Godhead, Sri Krishna. This taste leads one further towards the attachment for Krishna consciousness, asakti, which is matured in bhava, or the preliminary stage of transcendental love of God. Real love of God is called prema, the highest perfectional stage of life. In the prema stage, there is a constant engagement in the transcendental loving service of the Lord. So, by the slow process of devotional service, under the guidance of the bona fide spiritual master, one can attain the highest stage, being freed from all material attachment, from the fearfulness of one's individual spiritual personality, and from the frustrations that result in void philosophy then one can ultimately attain to the abode of the Supreme Lord. Now, you may say, well, wow, it's a slow process. Look at how much progress you've already made. You're in a human form of life. 
We were reading earlier, how many other forms of life are there? Eight million? Eight million. We're one in the one in one of the four hundred thousand human species. How much progress you've already made to come to the human form of life? And if you look proportionately, if we look to just this room we're in right now, how many other living entities are here? Germs, microbes, everything. You keep some you can't even see. So many living entities. All these different, if we were to sit here, we could analyze this verse. This verse alone could take us months and months to cover. Shraddha, the word shraddha is faith. We'll just look at a couple of the words and, and just explain them to you. Adashraddha, faith, shraddha is faith. Tata sadhu. Anybody here know, not know what a sadhu is? Everybody knows sadhu, saintly person. Ada shraddha tata sadhu. Sango. Ta. Sadhu sanga. Sadhu. Sanga means associate. So there's the sadhu and we associate with him. So first we have to have a little faith. And then we hear from the sadhu. And we say, you seem to know what you're talking about spiritually. Let me, let me hear some more. Sadhu Sangha, we associate with them. Tata, Bhajana Kriya. The Sadhu tells us and gives us a practice to purify our existence. That's called Bhajana Kriya. Bhajan. You ever, you're familiar with this word, Bhajan? Bhajan is like this kirtan we chant every week. There's two forms, kirtan. Bhajan is a little bit more concentrated. So, bhajan. Bhajana kriya are the practices of devotional life that the spiritual master prescribes for our purification. And in devotional service, we consider nine primary bhajana kriya. What are they? Shravanam, kirtanam, vishnu, smaranam, padasavanam. Now we can analyze that verse. Right? Shravanam. <laughs> so, shravanam, kirtanam, vishnu. Shravanam, kirtanam. Hearing, chanting. Shrava, shravanam. Hearing, chanting. Kirtanam. Kirtan, chanting, Vishnu, about the Supreme. Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu. Smarnam, remembering, Padasavanam. Okay, I'm off on another verse. Let's go back to this one. Okay, so we have Bhajana Kriya, which is the practices. And nine are principle. Hearing, chanting, remembering, worshiping the lotus feet, worshiping the deity, offering prayers. Fully surrendering. The toe narthani. Yes. Oh, you want them all? I have to go back to the verse. Uh, Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smarnam, Padasavanam is worshiping the Archanam is worshiping the deity. Vandanam is offering prayers. Archanam, Vandanam, Dashyam, becoming the servant. 
Sakyam, accepting the friendship of Krishna, of the Lord. There's not a better friend that you can have in your corner than Krishna. Okay, see, Archie knows how to learn it. And then, Atmanivedanam uh, means complete self-surrender. We'll cover Archanivedanam when we get to the end of Bhagavad Gita. Nine processes of devotional practice make up Bhajana Kriya. Nartha Nivriti, Anartha Nivriti, Anartha. Anybody know what Anartha is? Unwanted things. Right, Sheto Darpanamarjanam. What do we chant every week? Sheto Krishna, please. Cleanse these unwanted things from my existence, from my heart. As we associate with the sadhu, our faith increases. We practice bhajana kriya. Anartha nivritti. The unwanted things in our heart actually leave. This is not some pie in the sky, some faith-based. Faith is the beginning but it goes beyond that. There is a practice. And the practice yields a result. And the result is a true cleansing of our existence of unwanted habits. Anartha Nivriti. They go away. And you don't have to work at them. We've gone over this. You don't have to work separately to say, I don't want to be lusty. I don't want to be greedy. I don't want to be... I don't want to be this. I don't want I don't want to be envious of other people. If you just follow the practice, Shravanam Kirtanam Vishnu, if you simply daily chant seriously, Hari Krishna, Hari Krishna, 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 Hari Hari, Hari Rama, Hari Rama, 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 Hari Hari. Krishna, please cleanse my heart. I can't do it. That's what we were reading earlier. That's what it means to take shelter of higher authority. And they're so perfect. Who's more perfect than Krishna? Who's more perfect than Guru? They can do the work. They do the heavy lifting. All we have to do is beg them to do it. They're anxious to help. What do they say? We take one step towards God. He takes ten steps towards us. Tato nista ruchistata. Nista. Nista is steadiness. When all those unwanted things quit bothering us. Lust, anger, greed, enviousness. When those things no longer bother us, they'll still be there some, some extent. But still, we'll come to a stage of steadiness in spiritual practice. It becomes very, become calm. We become peaceful in spiritual life. Ruchi, we really get a taste for it. There will come a time in your chanting where you won't want to quit chanting. Sometimes in order to get that regulated amount of chanting done every day, there might be some struggle in the beginning. So I've said, Krishna, I'm going to chant four rounds or eight rounds or 16 rounds or whatever. And some days it's like, am I ever going to get this done? Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, my heart's not in it. But once the anarthas fall away, then steadiness comes. And after steadiness, then you really get a taste for it. 
I was just talking to a, uh, a devotee up in Sandy Ridge, Archana City. And she said, wow, I just went through this period where I didn't want to stop chanting at all. Every day I just wanted to keep chanting. I chanted my regulated rounds and then I just, I wanted to chant more and more. That'll come. She's much more advanced than I am, but she's been practicing Krishna consciousness. There will come that. This is not some pie-in-the-sky thing. I don't know what I can do to convince you except say, please take to this process seriously and chant, and it will be self-revel... It will, it will reveal itself to you. Absolutely. Then we get into some little bit of very esoteric stuff. The Supreme Lord starts to reveal his personality to us, his character. Asakti. Yes. We start to attain some attachment to the Supreme Person. We start to understand. It's, it's okay to theoretically know that God is a person. That's great. I'm a person. God's a person. But when you start to really appreciate his character, you hear about his character in, in scripture. You hear the sadhus talking about all his different characteristics. The characteristics of, of his body, the characteristics of his dealings with devotees, the characteristics of his pastimes. Yes. <clears throat> That comes, that's, that's actually at Bhava. Yeah. The stage of Asakti is more of appreciation and start realizing that what God is really like as a person. Uh, that's my understanding. Of course, all this, all these, you can't just say they're distinct lines between one and the other. All right? It's not like that. It's a gradual progression here from stage to stage. So when we're talking about a sakti, when we're really becoming attached to Krishna, then the next stage is bhava. So that word is there. Tata bhava. The last word in the uh, first line, in the second verse. Atasaktis tato bhavas. So bhava, well bhava, that, that appreciation of the character and the characteristics of the Supreme Lord overwhelm us. Bhava is transcendental emotion, spiritual ecstatic emotion. It overwhelms us. That's how great God is. And once we really start to relate with his character, that bhava, it, it just overwhelms us. There's shedding of tears. The hairs are standing on end. The trembling is there. The faltering of the voice. So many characteristics. And the great sages, the Goswamis, they have specifically Srila Rupa Goswami Prabhupada, he has broken down all these different stages and he specifically dealt in his book, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, which is in English as Nectar of Devotion, broken down all this 
spiritual experiences of bhava. And it's a very scientific presentation. A more scientific presentation of the nature of love with the Supreme Lord is nowhere to be found than Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, the ocean of the nectar of devotion. It's what the title means. Sindhu means ocean. Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. Once you're overwhelmed with that spiritual emotion, your true loving sentiment really blossoms. And it blossoms in, in a service to the Lord, as you mentioned, in one of five primary relationships. And that love fully blossoms in one of those relationships, and that is praying. That's referred to as the stage of praying. So at the end we see, Tata Premabhya Dunshati. Then it says, Sadakanam Ayam Premna, Sadika. We are the, that's us. Sadika means practitioner. The practitioner striving for love of God, Prema, goes through these steps, chronological, Krama, step by step by step. This is the practice of devotional service in a nutshell. And as we go on, we want to break this down so we can, so that we can, in our practice, aspire to advance. Without this knowledge of Sambandha, the inner relationship, simply knowing that your spirit soul and there's God and you know you're not the body. It's all preliminary knowledge. Bhagavad Gita is preliminary knowledge, but it's preliminary knowledge that we must have completely a complete grasp of so that we can progress nicely. In the verse we read tonight, and what I want you to take away from this class is all of them as they surrender unto me, I reward accordingly. We have a reciprocal relationship. As we, as much as we put in, Krishna gives back. But remember one thing: we're a little teeny infinitesimal spiritual spark, and Krishna is infinitely there, the Supreme Lord. We give a little. How much do we get back? Huh? We give a little bit according to our capacity, but what's the Supreme Lord's capacity to give back? All of them as they surrender unto me, I reward them accordingly. But he wards according to his capacity, not to ours. Any questions? Yes. Um, going back to your anecdote about your um, epiphany you had with those two sentences in the purport chant, did that experience ultimately expedite your association with the devotees? Had you been associating with them previous to that? And kind of like a timeline. Uh, timeline for myself in this life, I came in contact first with, with my spiritual master through his books. I read Bhagavad Gita probably in 68 
uh, when I was uh, just out of high school, going into college. I started to read Bhagavad Gita and uh, associated with Bhagavad Gita for a couple of years. Then I came across the teachings of Lord Chaitanya, which is just a magnificent book. I recommend it. It's, it's got such esoteric knowledge. And I came away from reading teachings of Lord Chaitanya thinking, I understand spiritual life now. Then I've come to realize now at 60 that spiritual life is so big and I'm so small. <laughs> I did come in contact with devotees when I was going to college. I saw them in front of a musical production in Toronto called Hair. They're standing in front of Hair and they're handing out magazines. So this girl comes up and she hands me Krishna the Reservoir of Pleasure. You'll see it. It's a beautiful little booklet. She hands this to me and I look at it and I see A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami. I said, oh, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami. Yes, I've read his books. I've read Bhagavad Gita a few times, teaches Lord Chaitanya. What do you have to do with that? Because these people are out there in robes, chanting, spanging cymbals, and I'm like, you guys are a little weird. But I didn't know they had any relationship with spiritual life, and specifically the spiritual life that I had started to invest my intellect in, in studying of Bhagavad Gita. She says, oh, you've read Bhagavad you've read. You have to come to the temple now. I said, uh, no, I'm going to go in and see hair. <laughs> she said, well, here, take this magazine. Take this. So I took, uh, I took uh, Krishna the Reservoir of Pleasure, and I went and got a seat in hair, and then uh, I started to read it before the curtain, uh, the lights went off, and then I was kind of, interested in it so as the play went on I moved over to the exit uh, seat by the exit sign and continued to read for the rest of the for the rest of the production ultimately I, I sought out uh, a community near my home I lived, grew up in western Pennsylvania and there was a I read in a magazine a back to Godhead magazine about a commune in West Virginia which is only a stone's throw away from where I grew up so I went to a lot of trouble to find that community. I went to the post office in Moundsville and said, do you know where this community is? And they said, no, we don't know where it is. Well, I said, well, do you have to have a postman that delivers mail to this new Vrindavan? Oh, never heard any, nobody here has heard anything about this. I went there probably three times and could never find it. Finally, I went to Pittsburgh. There was a temple in Pittsburgh. It had moved. It took me a whole afternoon to find that temple. I finally found that and got directions to the place in West Virginia. Once I went there, I moved in the next spring, gave up college. and uh, Yeah, I would say reading that had some... It ultimately brought me to the Association of Devotees. Mostly it, it, it was facilitated by giving up... Uh, the wrong path of uh, spiritual enlightenment, which was no enlightenment at all. Of course, my guru at that time was the Moody Blues. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, they taught me a lot. Timothy Leary's dead. You know. They actually, I got a lot of spiritual insight, but the spiritual insight was coming from Bhagavad Gita. So naturally, Anything that I was hearing, I was projecting that philosophy that was seeping into my consciousness onto what I was hearing. And you notice, like, spiritual life, it's like that. I mean, 
you let you have a devotee listening to a a, a record on the radio and and, a, and there's two different consciousness you know when I hear foreigner say I want to know what love is I'm thinking about I want to know how to love Krishna of course they may be singing about wanting to know what a girl's gonna have like he's gonna have love with her but that's not what I hear we hear according to our consciousness we see the world through the lens of our spiritual life. This is spiritual upliftment of our consciousness. The consciousness that you have and, and uh, somebody that's living in, in the inner city just simply raising kids to, to, to get welfare money and simply sits in front of a TV all day and, and drinks liquor. If you would walk into their house, you'd feel the mode of ignorance there. Your consciousness isn't into that. But they, they're perfectly happy. Yeah, I'm fine. There's 10 screaming kids. You, you're like, get me out of here. But she's like, that's all right. Hey, would you like a drink? It's okay. It's unfortunate. But that's the way the modes of material nature work upon us. And it's all based on our consciousness. And if our association is bad, then our consciousness becomes bad. If our association is good, our consciousness becomes good. If our association is transcendental, we can get out of this place. Simple program. Yes? It's, it's so, uh, one of my favorite things to hear about when it's something associated with devotees is the idea of just, instead of giving things up, just add. Just add a little bit of this and that hasn't changed. And then if you leave the taste, yeah. it's, it's interesting to see yourself losing taste for things that were really important to you before because it's mm-hmm. it happens naturally there's no extra it's called causeless knowledge and detachment causeless knowledge and detachment comes simply by the practice of devotional service That's your cue. (laughs) Thank you very much. Hare Krishna.